everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of NAMIC's Insurance Uncovered podcast. We're delighted that you've tuned in for the latest insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. This week's episode is sponsored by New England Asset Management. I'm your host, Kathy Inus, and today we're uncovering the 2022 hurricane season. As storm activity prepares to ramp up, experts are adjusting their outlook from earlier forecasts. And a win for insurers in Washington state. Why a judge overturned the ban on credit-based insurance scoring. Plus, agricultural fire risk. With harvest season approaching, Westfield Insurance's Ben Peeps shares how prevention and suppression measures can mitigate these losses. To start us off, a major victory for the property casualty insurance industry and its policyholders after a judge overturned Washington State Insurance Commissioner Mike Kreidler's temporary ban on the use of credit-based insurance scoring in the state. NAMIC worked for more than a year on litigation to stop Kreidler's overreach of authority. The judge's decision, once entered, invalidates the commissioner's rule on the basis that it clearly conflicts with the legislative approval to use CBIS. Kreidler had argued that people who have struggled financially during the pandemic are at risk of having delinquencies show up on their credit reports. He said insurers charge good drivers with low credit scores nearly 80% more for mandatory auto insurance. But NAMIC cited thousands of formal comments submitted to the department by senior citizens on fixed incomes who actually found the opposite to be true under Kreidler's CBIS ban. NAMIC SVP of State and Policy Affairs Aaron Collins says the association will defend risk-based pricing when members and their policyholders are unable to rely upon the rule of law in an overreach, such as the Washington Commissioner's effort. The decision is a win for Washington consumers, especially seniors, who will be able to continue paying lower insurance rates that more accurately reflect their risk. NAMIC is grateful to the court for recognizing that state insurance law should be decided by the people via the legislature. We hope the judge's decision will settle this matter and that Washington's insurance companies can get back to serving their policyholders. Washington lawmakers have looked at the issue several times since a bill explicitly allowing for the use of CBIS and rate making originally passed back in 2002. Each time since then, the legislature rejected the OIC's desire to ban the use of CBIS, instead upholding the underwriting tool as an actuarially sound rating factor that benefits the vast majority of consumers. Well, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners summer meeting is currently underway in Portland, Oregon. NAMIC's policy team is on site to represent the industry's interests as they meet with insurance regulators from around the country. Some of the key topics being covered at the summer meeting include privacy, climate, artificial intelligence, risk-based pricing and solvency, among others. The NAMIC policy team will have an update following the meeting that we'll share on the next episode of Insurance Uncovered. And it's already August, and thankfully no major hurricanes to report just yet, so hurricane forecasters have been decreasing their outlook slightly for the 2022 season. The experts at both the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and Colorado State University lowered the forecasted number of named storms from what they initially predicted in earlier outlooks, but they say you should still prepare for a very active season. 
we're entering right now the most active period when 90% of tropical activity happens. CSU predicts an above-average season with 18 named storms, eight of which could become hurricanes. And of those hurricanes, four could become Category 3 or higher with winds of at least 115 miles per hour. Harvest season is right around the corner, and as those familiar with agribusiness know, it's not uncommon for mobile farm equipment to catch fire. Nor is it uncommon for fires to spark at commercial processing sites with fixed equipment and structures. On today's Unscripted, NAMIC CEO Neil Aldridge talks with Westfield Insurance Risk Control Consultant Ben Peets about prevention and suppression measures to mitigate the various losses. On today's Unscripted, we're joined by Ben Peets. Ben is a risk control consultant with Westfield Insurance. He lives in Indiana. Westfield, as many of you know, is based in Ohio. Uh, He spoke recently during NAMIC's Ag Risk Inspection School about different areas of risk control on farms in particular. And given NAMIC's membership and the amount of farm coverage that is written by by the members, we thought we might take a little deeper dive in a technical area today and talk specifically about some of the risk control areas that Ben spoke about at the Ag Risk Inspection School and some of these topics more, more broadly speaking. So thanks for joining us today, Ben. Thank you, Neil. I appreciate the opportunity to join you. So Ben, you have a unique background. You're a second generation fire service veteran, I understand. So tell us a little bit about more about your career and kind of how you ended up transitioning into the risk control area. Yeah, so I'm from a small community in southeastern Indiana, a little town of Napoleon. Um, I actually still live in this area um, on our family's farm. Uh, Grown up around a local volunteer fire department, being from a small community, uh, my dad's been involved for over 50 years. And so when I was growing up, I always tagged along every opportunity I had to ride along to the firehouse or go on a fire run. Um, you know, something about growing up around fire trucks and having the opportunity to do that. So, um, you know, so so many of our small communities around the country rely so heavily on volunteers. And uh, so, you know, when you're around the fire department as much as I was, eventually you find yourself taking all the training and ending up filling the spot on the roster. And, and here I am almost 30 years later, I'm still actively responding to emergencies in our community. So that gives me a lot of firsthand experience. Uh, I've had an opportunity, a unique opportunity that a lot of people don't get to actually see uh, you know, from the insurance standpoint, seeing losses occurring and kind of understand a little bit more about what happens in, in terms of response and so forth. So, you know, using that, my fire department involvement has really played a big role in leading me to where I am today in risk control. Um, it's been really rewarding that, that now I'm able to use that experience to help others outside of our community uh, to kind of learn, uh, help them learn more and grow their risk management skills. Um, certainly, it's been a unique background to bring to the table, um, but when coupled with my family farming experience, it's proven to really give me a, a nice edge uh, when it comes to providing risk control services for you know, larger complex properties or especially the agricultural operations of all sizes and scopes. Yeah, that's a great background. Obviously, you know, we have many, many members who are very involved in the fire service themselves, either personally or their companies have a connection. And then, of course, you throw in the agriculture uh, connection that makes for an almost perfect background for for what you're doing here. So let's talk about a little bit about ag in particular. Uh, what what parts of the ag industry are particularly challenging from a loss control standpoint? I think the primary challenge is that agriculture is just so broad in terms of what the industry involves and what it can encompass. Um, you know, as risk control professionals, we've got a lot more variables to consider when we evaluate an agricultural operation you know, as compared to what we might run into with a basic commercial property or manufacturing facility. 
Um, ag facilities can range from a, a small truck farm, vegetable operation, um, up to something that's a very large grain complex, grain elevators and, and so forth, that may be millions of dollars in insurable value. And then when you look at the operations, uh, you know, it may be something that occurs daily or, or even 24-7 when we get into large dairy farms that are milking around the clock, something like that. Uh, or conversely, it could be something that takes place within a pretty small window of time, like planting and harvesting operations that are associated with row crops. Um, I think another aspect that makes it challenging is just how mobile operations are. Uh, we could go look at a manufacturing facility and it may consist of one location that has a few machines that never move for decades. But on the other hand, agricultural equipment can be very mobile. Uh, you know, in fact, in today's world, it doesn't take a very large farming operation to have a million dollars worth of equipment that is moving from location to location. But I think that's what makes it uh, rewarding to get involved and learn more about it and to try to get out and help analyze those operations and figure out what we can do to, to try to mitigate those, those exposures and those risks. Yeah, so no doubt ag is changing and has changed. Uh, it's, my family's also involved in farming and has been for several generations, and so I'm pretty familiar with the uh, – one of my jobs as a kid was helping move all the stuff. Uh, so uh, I know how that works for sure. Uh, so what trends do you see today when it comes to ag, ag, you know, ag operations in particular? With Let's talk about the equipment itself. Everybody knows – uh, the farm equipment is certainly larger and more expensive, but what kind of trends are you seeing from a loss perspective? What are you focused on there? Well, I think there's a couple of things. The, the Probably the one biggest thing is uh, just how much technology is now being used in agriculture. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of a lot of movement toward electronics and, and GPS and things like that. And I think there's a few things that have driven that. Um, you know, one in particular is just labor. Agriculture is has been hit by labor shortage long before the situation that we're seeing across the country now and you know, other industries and so forth. And uh, it's always been common that ag workers uh, you know, may come from a lifelong ag background and know exactly what they're doing, or they could essentially be hired off the street with no background or experience. And, and that's very common. You know, we think of the years of, of hiring a high, you know, high school help to throw bales or, or you know, we've had uh, facilities that have used migrant workers for uh, milking and things like that. But, but in today, you know, there's so many cases where there aren't even those experienced, uh, inexperienced workers out there to hire and to train. So, you know, then when you add the fact that the agricultural working environments are pretty strenuous and uncomfortable to say the least, uh, yeah. it, it could be a real struggle to find find employees. So uh, I think in some part to response in response to that, we're seeing the technology being used to to replace some places where we would have done more manual labor type things. Uh, a great example of that is dairy farms now that are using robotic milking systems. You know, they're they're installing these robotic milking systems that are pretty hefty investment initially, but when you look at the the return on investment and the payback over trying to find labor and pay and train someone, um, you know, the the machines can accomplish those tasks very efficiently, and they don't have to worry about maintaining or finding qualified workers. Um, we can address the labor and efficiency issues, and from a risk control and insurance standpoint, the only problem is we now find ourselves with a, a significantly higher insured value within the same building footprint than maybe we had uh, 10 years ago. Um, the other thing with with uh, the drive, I think, to, for technology is the need for operations, just like any, anything, to be more efficient with less waste and, and more return from the same inputs. Um, I, you know, again, I mentioned GPS. We're seeing GPS technology now being pretty commonplace in row crop operations. Um, you know, precision planning, better control and application of fertilizers and pesticides. Um, obviously, it helps from the control of expenses and inputs, but it's a, an environmental thing. Um, and so, with all this technology, the new equipment today is becoming more and more costly than in the past. 
And so whether it's if, if it's the planting or agronomy equipment or a new combine, um, all these machines are costing a lot more to purchase new. And, and consequently for us in the insurance industry, they're costing a lot more to replace when a loss occurs. Uh, you know, when we think about a new combine today that's equipped and ready to go to the field could easily be uh, 10 times more expensive than what a new machine might have cost, you know, 20 to 30 years ago. So, uh, I mean, in some cases today, we're actually seeing just the, the header equipment that gathers the crop into the machines costing as much as an entire machine might have cost, you know, not all that long ago. Yeah, I'm familiar with some of that technology myself, and it is a remarkable change. So we're, we're here in, I guess, almost mid-August now. Uh, harvest season, at least in the Midwest, row crop kind of harvest season is not too far in the future, although we're a little late here uh, in the Midwest, probably this year than we have been in years past, I would say. Uh, but so talk about a little bit about, you know, what we see from a from a from an ag loss perspective when it comes to harvest time. There's always a fire, it seems, perhaps in a machine. My family even had a combine fire probably 10 years ago. Um, so talk a little bit about what you see there. Yeah, so so you know as we've talked about already, you know one of the biggest factors is the fact that the equipment today is is costing a whole lot more. It's a it's a much larger initial investment just because of the increases in the overall size, the additional technology. Um, you know the equipment values we're insuring are just much more significant, and so that just means the losses are going to be that much more severe when they occur. And so, uh, you know, another thing on the the thread of severity. Agricultural equipment has evolved, but the way the machines are made has evolved also. And so not only do they include more uh, you know, electronics and wiring and those types of components, which are obviously going to be more costly to briefly uh, replace and, and repair, but the machines are also now constructed out of a lot more plastics. So you know, the plastics are a positive thing in terms of weight reduction and, and general durability and so forth, but it's certainly not a good thing when a fire occurs. And, and I can tell you from my fire department experience, you know, we've, we've seen some older equipment experience a fire and, and the damage was minimal enough that you know, someone could uh, change a few hoses or install some new belts and, and you know, basically have the, field, uh, the machine back to the field the next day where uh, you know, in the same in the same vein, I've seen uh, newer machines burn with a lot of these plastic body panels and wiring, and you know, larger fuel tanks that are also plastic. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting perspective. Do do you think? Um, so, would you say that perhaps the likelihood, the severity of the loss is perhaps increased? Maybe the maybe the frequency of a fire in today's equipment is lower, but the severity of it is higher. Well, I would say that the frequency probably hasn't changed a whole lot, but it's just the fact that in years past, the, the, when a fire occurred, it was small enough that perhaps the operator was able to, to get it taken care of with an extinguisher or they could address it and without too much loss. Or, you know, with, with older machines where there wasn't as much actual fire load in the machine itself, they may have had a fire and something burned itself out and they never even realized it. I just think now we're seeing a lot more fires get out of check a lot more quickly and, and just become a lot more severe. That's interesting. I, I suspect for people that are not in the everyday part of that business, the assumption might be different that may perhaps today's machines are, you know, safer, less likely to have that problem. I, I, I wonder if that might not be news to people uh, that, the, that both the, the frequency is there, but the severity probably is worse. And not just because the machine is more expensive, but the, 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 how the machine is constructed. That's a uh, and something I really hadn't thought about. That's interesting. Is there any is there any um, typical cause today for those kinds of, of of occurrences, or is it is it you know is there anything that can be done better to prevent it to, on the front end, or is, what does that look like? 
So I think most fires are uh, occur because of the crop material that you know builds up in an area where there's an ignition source present, and just because of the nature of the beast, there's there's no real way we can eliminate that. Um, obviously, the two biggest things we can do are just manage manage that, manage the ignition sources and and the combustible material. Um, you know, we can't completely eliminate these ignition sources. We're always going to have heat that's being produced by engines, uh, you know, exhaust manifolds, exhaust systems, hydraulic systems, things like that. Uh, but what we can do is is work to to do preventative maintenance, lubricate all the moving pieces, make sure we're performing all of the recommended preventative maintenance. We're inspecting for uh, wear and tear that that may present some sort of a friction buildup or or a potential ignition source, and, and you know ultimately try to reduce the risk for excessive heat uh, from those components. Maybe a, you know a bearing that's gone out or so forth. Um, the other thing that we can do is just work to keep those machines clean and free from excessive dirt and dust and debris. Uh, you know, anytime that the equipment's allowed to accumulate chaff and crop material around engines, exhaust systems, hydraulic units, uh, you know, moving parts, there, there's always going to be an increased potential for a fire to occur. So the best thing we can do is just try to eliminate both of those on the front end. Yeah, that's that's certainly the case. There's a lot of material that goes through those machines for sure, and and keeping them clean is is obviously important not only for the operation of the machine but for the for the fire aspects as well another common area of course is is after the harvest is during the grain drying and storage those facilities uh that seems to be a fairly common occurrence where there's some sort of grain bin issue uh so talk about that aspect a little bit yeah so I, you know as again a small volunteer department we've actually uh have responded to a couple of uh, dryer fires over the last few years. So I've had some firsthand experience with that. And, you know, I would say the biggest potential um, for fires in grain storage is the initial drying process. Um, you know, grain grain can't always be harvested from the field in a, a condition that's that's favorable for long-term storage. So the drying process is, is always going to be necessary to remove that excess moisture, try to get that grain where we can, you know, keep it in condition for a longer period. And, and of course, the drying process involves adding heat to the grain. So, so we we're basically cooked out. Anytime we're going to add heat to a combustible material, we're going to have a potential for fire. So um, from my experience, what I've seen, these fires tend to occur more often in dry equipment that hasn't been kept clean or well-maintained. But that's that's still not always the case. Uh, you know, really anything that can cause the grain to stop flowing and, and hold up in the drying process can result in a batch of, of grain being overheated and, and starting to burn and, and then going from there. Um, the one thing about it is that, for the most part, these are not things that happen quickly. Uh, usually, it's a, a small smoldering fire that, that grows and gets out of hand. And I, I think the key really is is just to closely monitor the process at all times. Um, that way, you know, any issues that pop up can be resolved before they get out of hand. And I'm not talking just relying on electronic monitoring systems. I mean, a lot of these newer systems have computer controls and automatic shutdowns and safety cutouts and things like that. But there's still really no replacement for having an operator there on site with the equipment at any time the system's operating. Uh, I think there's there's just still no replacement for having someone right there, you know, watching the, the process and, and making sure everything's operating properly. Yeah, understood. And that's also the biggest challenge that farmers face today is trying to find labor uh, to, to do those very things. Uh, so this, as we end here, are there any sort of, you know, besides the things you've already talked about, maintenance and, and monitoring and those kind of things, any any important tips for reducing the, you know, the overall uh, risk that, that in the agriculture world? Yeah, you know, I think prevention is, is really the biggest key, and, and we've touched on that a little bit. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, the, most fires are occurring because of crop material that builds up where there's an ignition source. So the more we can do to address the kind of the cause and effect of that, the more we can reduce and, and mitigate those losses. Um, <clears throat> you know, another thing is that agriculture as an industry is generally 
Um, we're not very good at emergency preparedness unless there's a, a really specifically identified hazard like you know, chemicals, anhydrous ammonia, grain engulfment, something like that. But just general fires aren't something that we see many ag operations specifically preparing for or really investing much in preventing. Uh, you know, agriculture as an industry has uh, over the years had a, a reputation of operating a lot of times on on exemptions from a lot of those safety oversights. And and while that's good and bad and and you know necessary in certain cases, uh, it is something that presents a little more risk for us from an insurance standpoint. So uh, you know, for example, automatic fire protection sprinkler systems, suppression systems are almost unheard of in an agricultural setting. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of things to that. One one thing I'm a big proponent of is uh, especially for equipment, is is water-based extinguishers. Uh, you know, there's, it's pretty common where we see a, a fire and a machine and an operator will grab the fire extinguisher, which tends to be a, a dry powder type extinguisher. They'll try to put out the fire, but the problem is the fire, you know, occurs when dry material gets hot enough to burn, and so powder extinguishers don't really address that. They'll knock down the flames, they'll stop it from actively burning, but they don't do much to cool anything. They don't really remove any of the burning material. And so as soon as the powder dissipates, we've still got hot material and, and it'll flare back up. And then we, we, you know, that's how we end up with some pretty significant losses. So a water can extinguisher will do both of those. They can actually cool and clean, um, allows the operator to kind of continually apply water if a fire flares up. And, and you'd really be surprised how far two and a half gallons of water will go in, a, in an extinguisher can. So that's one of the things that I, I really advocate. Another thing is that, uh, you know, again, we, we're not seeing a lot of engineered safety systems uh, put in place to prevent fires on these machines. Uh, other industries that utilize equipment of this size and value have, have really come to accept the need to install automatic suppression equipment. Um, that's especially common in the forest products industry, which is where I started my risk control career, gosh, 18 years ago. Um, you know, we see timber harvesting equipment, feller bunchers and forwarders and things like this, um, you know, regularly having automatic suppression systems installed within the machine simply because they recognize the potential for fire is so great and a loss is pretty certain to be severe. So unfortunately, agriculture just hasn't quite gotten to accept that practice yet. And, and hopefully that's something we'll start to look at as, as the, you know, the technology and the equipment continues to evolve and grow. Um, I, I think it's something the industry really needs to consider just because the values are, are getting you know, pretty extensive and the fire losses are becoming more and more severe. But um, you know, ultimately, it may be one of those things that actually has to come from us in the insurance industry to drive that as well. So, um, but that, yeah, that, those, those yeah. are the few things that I can, I can suggest is just some basic prevention and, and maintenance type activities. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I had not, I didn't know the difference between the, I knew there was a difference, but I didn't know the difference between the chemical fire extinguishers and the water ones. That's a, that's a, a little tip there that may, may, people may not have considered. That's, that's good stuff. Well, listen, Ben, thank you for joining us today and thanks for your work here. It's in, not only your work in, on your fire department, but the work you do for the industry. It's an important topic. Uh, it's something that uh, many insurers have to face. Uh, the complexity around today's ag uh, industry is, is growing and that also grows the risk profile uh, that insurers have to sort out. So thanks for your work and thanks for your comments today. Thanks again for, for the invitation to join you today, and, and I appreciate the opportunity to share a little insight. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. A special thank you to our sponsor, New England Asset Management. We'll be back on August 24th with more insurance news and perspective, and we hope you'll join us. Until that time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.